My name is Will Small, and I'm trying to become the man my kids need me to be. To my fellow men, I think we've all got some work to do. What if it's time to rebuild what we call manhood for the sake of ourselves and the generation growing up behind us? It's not always easy talking about the real stuff, but we can't afford not to. So let's get into it. This is the Mankind Podcast. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Mankind. Hey, what comes to your mind when you hear the word rehab? If you've never been to a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center, you probably have certain images that come to mind, probably focus on the drug and alcohol part and stereotypical images of addiction. But the truth is, rehab is about a lot more than that. It's about helping people to change the stories they're living out of. It's about rebuilding mind, body, and spirit. And we could probably all learn a lot from a place like the Glen here on the Central Coast. The Glen is the only male-specific drug and alcohol rehab on the coast, and it has a national reputation for doing an excellent job helping men experience healing and transformation. Alex Lee is the CEO of the Glen, and he's got a pretty amazing story of his own, which he shares with me in this interview. Alex is an incredibly humble and strong person. He recently ran 10 marathons in 10 days and casually broke a record without even realizing it. It struck me that with Alex, there's no bravado, just a real desire to take care of his own health while helping others to rebuild theirs. So look, if you're like me and you've never been to rehab, then honestly, this conversation is a pretty special window into a place that helps people do the work of rebuilding themselves. And if we're honest, we could probably all use a little rebuilding. So listen in. There's powerful stuff here for every one of us. Alex Lee, it is uh, really great to be sitting with you today, man. I'm stoked that we get to have this conversation. So first of all, thank you for your time. Tell me, how do you introduce yourself when you meet people for the first time and share a little bit about who you are and what you do? So I always say um, I'm Alex, born in Sydney with parents from Hong Kong. Uh, We migrated here. You know, grew up in the city, raised a city boy, um, moved up to the Central Coast seven years ago. I now run and manage the Glen Centre, which is a drug and alcohol rehab up here in Chittaway Bay. But yeah, my story, I guess, leading up to that, it, it starts from some really, I guess, humble beginnings, you know, a family who migrated here to give me better opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, pretty much most guests I interview, I like to ask them, when you were a kid, mm. What was kind of the early um, shaping around your idea of manhood that you think you kind of saw or heard or had in your mind when you were growing up? When I, when I grew up, my, um, my parents had to work very hard. So often I didn't even see my mum, especially my dad. You know, dad was working long hours, weekends he's stressed, so there wasn't much of a, you know, male figure, I guess, in, in, my, um, in my early childhoods. Um, and I guess I had to seek a lot of of that myself. And so I'm a bit of a bookworm. So I looked at a lot of reading. And for me, you know, I love reading you know, autobiographies about men like you know, big figureheads like Nelson Mandela and, um, you know, past presidents and all, all them kind of leading, leading men. And for me, it always comes back to a couple of things around men being leaders, being compassionate, being honest and, and, and being authentic. You know, to me, that's 
what I strive to be and that's because I've done a lot of, I guess, reading and research on people that I've admired through history. Mm, I love that. Love the, the integration of leadership with compassion and authenticity because sadly, you know, we, we see a lot of leaders who don't have those traits. We can pretty easily point out leaders that seem to be fake you know, what they put out there doesn't seem to match kind of the character behind it. But that focus on wanting to be a leader, wanting to be a man who's both compassionate and authentic, I think is uh, we could do with more of that, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, being being compassionate, it's not easy. You know, sometimes you we kind of come into this world and the society where there's a depiction of men being just physically strong, but there's so much behind that of being emotionally strong, spiritually strong. Mm. And... um. That's what at the Glen we kind of strive to achieve. Yeah, awesome. So I want to chat to you about what happens at the Glen and kind of the process there and, you know, just to understand it more. But before we get into that, how did you first get involved? Like what was your first engagement with the Glen or how did you find out about it? Yeah, well, I might rewind a bit and just start with, I guess, where I kind of got into community service and community work. Yeah. When I was a young young kid around 13, 14, I was quite, quite depressed. You know, I went to a school where I didn't have any friends. And I, um, I had to see the school counsellor because, you know, people noticed that I was isolating quite a bit. And the piece of advice the counsellor gave me is I need to surround myself with positive people. I was getting bullied a lot. I was, I was in fear. And she suggested to do a bit of, bit of community work. So I signed up to a local Clean Up Australia Day. I just did it by myself because I was still, still scared of talking to people. So like a 13-year-old kid just doing a Clean Up Australia Day, like solo effort to solo because my social skills are terrible back then. I mean, I'm still trying to work on them now, but I started doing that one year. The next year, I actually wrote my brother along. So there was the, uh, the solo team became a duo. And then towards the later years of high school, I started promoting my friends, neighbours noticed, and it started to grow from there. And so community work became a bit, a bit of a part of my life, became a hobby for me, even through uni, through work. I always did stuff on weekends, at night, and running programs, um, you know, refugees, asylum seekers, working with the homeless, working with youth. And so my career kind of started at a place called KPMG, which is an accounting firm. Um, that was my full-time job. And that community part of me still was thriving. And so although during the day I was this kind of accounting finance dude, weekends I'll be out in detention centres, I'll be, you know, helping out on the streets, doing lots of different things, running clubs, and it was in my last year at KPMG when um, one, of the, one of the partners at the firm said there was an opportunity to help a, an Indigenous corporation up on the Central Coast. And because everyone knew I had this kind of reputation of wanting to help out all the time, he said, you know, go, go check it out, sign up for this. And so I signed up. I um, landed up here on, this, on, you know, here on Dark and Young Land in 2014 where I met Joe, who was a previous CEO, and they said they needed help with finances. Once a month, come help with some budgeting, some reporting stuff. And that first meeting I had, I met the board of the Glen, so five really passionate Indigenous women. And I guess from day one, I just fell in love with the place. You know, you get to hear their stories of why they're there. You get to meet the clients and the boys. And I really saw it as an opportunity to be part of a place which turned, you know, lives of people around. And I think that's a really... Mm. It's awesome to hear the backstory of right going back to when you're a 13 year old kid doing the solo clean up Australia Day to working as an accountant in the day and then continuing that community involvement to being now in a position where you're really using 
I guess, all of your professional skills with that kind of heart and that passion for transforming lives and, and developing stronger connections. So tell me a little bit about what happens at the Glen. It's a drug and alcohol rehabilitation centre, uh, an Indigenous uh, rehab centre. Mm-hmm. Could you just kind of expand my understanding and the listener's understanding of what goes on there? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's a residential rehab centre and what that means is, is the clients stay on site. They live there. You know, the founder of, of, of the Glen has always said it's, it's a family atmosphere. We eat together, we do programs together. It's initially a, roughly a 12-week program where we help the clients work on themselves physically, mentally and spiritually. Um, so we play a lot of sport. There is a lot of um, one-on-one therapy and that includes grief counselling, trauma counselling, psychologists, financial counselling. Um, and we do a lot of cultural and spiritual activities as well. And that's different for everyone. So we, as an Indigenous corporation, we, do, um, we give the opportunity for a lot of guys to reconnect their culture. So we have a lot of staff who, who, who have been through the program themselves who run all these activities now, and it's reintroducing people to who, who they are. You know, one of the questions we ask guys when they, when they come in and throughout the program is, who are you? And a lot of guys don't, you know, that's one of the hardest questions to answer. So I guess our, our program is about helping guys answer, answer that question. Our, our program, we don't talk about drugs and alcohol very much. We talk about the underlying issues, mm. the causes, whether that's trauma, whether that's debt. Maybe it could just be something, something physical which is causing a little mental grief. So we address the underlying issues. And then beyond that, the program can there's – a, there's a transition program where clients can stay a bit longer and we help them address a lot of the social factors, employment, housing, education, and we try to lay the platform so they succeed when they leave. You know, having all those tools where they can get a job, save money, manage their finances themselves is really going to help them in the long term. Mm. You know, I'm struck by what you said about it. we don't really talk about drugs and alcohol a lot because it's those other kind of underlying factors and, and answering the question, who am I? Like how much of this stuff stems from, you know, our kind of core identity and whether or not we have a clear sense of who that is. So I love to, to hear that you guys have that holistic approach to as we kind of help put the person back together reconnect them with who they are where they come from then the behavior changes rather than the other way around that's right a lot of the guys you don't need to tell them that drugs and alcohol are bad for them they, they know that so rather than talk about that let's talk about the uh, the issues and that's hard because the guy you know we all have to kind of confront a lot of demons a lot of fears um, be very honest and raw about ourselves I'm proud to say that most of the team have been through the program themselves. So a, yeah, lot of, awesome. a lot of lived experience there. Do you think people come in to rehab or even if they are just totally external thinking about rehab, do you think they have a very different set of expectations or like stereotypes around what happens in rehab to what actually does happen? Yeah, and I, I would say I'd have those stereotypes as well. If you watch TV shows and movies, you know, one of our, our counsellors, Ethan, he thought coming into rehab meant he had to wear a strafe jacket. The whole day right and so we're actually on always on a bit of a bit of a mission to change the narrative about what rehab is one of our seven values is around transparency so we're very open to the community about what we do we post a lot on facebook we're on youtube we try to show people that you know we're, we're just a you know a group of guys who are just trying to be you know getting well and um and helping the community mm. you know i think we have we have a lot of people that come in and out of the rehab all the time. The boys are out a lot. Like right now today, they're out at a community event dancing and, and participating in the community. 
So, you know, by being out and about all the time, I think we're starting to change that perception of what, what rehab is. Mm. For you personally, mm. you know, has that process done anything for your own kind of reconnection with self or connection with culture? Has even being in that environment from a different angle, somebody helping to kind of lead programs, how's that impacted your own personal kind of identity and journey there? Yeah, well, part of, part of my story when I first started volunteering at the Glen, I actually got to a point, so I surrounded myself with people at the Glen who were finding purpose, figuring out who they are and, and living an honest life. And so while I was, you know, still working in, in the finance world, I had reflected a lot of myself and what was my purpose and my passion for helping people wasn't aligned with my career. So, you know, I actually left my, left my job, moved overseas to run a charity in Thailand for 12 months. You know, being around this environment really forced me to figure out who I was and, and what I wanted to do. After li- living and working in Thailand, I came back to the Glen and I realised that this is the place I want to, want to be at. We might kind of put rehab in a certain category in our minds, that that's, um, you know, like you said before, that somebody had that perception of having to wear a straight jacket. Like we almost view it like it's kind of like a voluntary prison mm. and it's just for this like small group of people on the fringe when in fact you actually talk about what happens there and I'm like, I could use that stuff. Anybody listening to this could use more of that kind of reconnection with self, you know, kind of that deep self-work confronting your demons. We've all got those. We all have narratives we need to rewrite. We all have addictions of various forms we need to break. So in some ways, it's just like it's a concentrated environment of something that maybe all of us could use. Is that right, do you reckon? Absolutely. You know, we all have our traumas. We all have um, we all have our story. And when you listen to the, some of the guys' stories of when and how they kind of hit rock bottom, that could happen to to anyone. Mm. You know, we have a saying that drugs and alcohol don't discriminate, so, so nor do we. Mm. high-end lawyers and bankers come into programs like ours yeah there's does it doesn't discriminate and yeah it can affect anyone i'm sure working there you've kind of developed a greater understanding of addiction and the process of what addiction is and how it works but yeah i mean could you unpack that a little bit like how your understanding of what addiction is and what it does in us kind of operates we always say it's a symptom of all, of all the underlying issues people are escaping could be escaping pain, could be escaping trauma. Um, some guys are just there, you know, to have fun. I think everyone has a different reason or story of, of, of where they, of why it gets to that point where the rest of their life might be un- unmanageable because of the addiction. And um, I guess the solution for us, you know, it, you know, everyone always says this, but the antidote to addiction is, is connection. Mm. And so we try to focus a lot on the, on the, on the solution around the connection and connection is different for everyone too. Um, you know, it could be connecting to your purpose, could be connecting to your, reconnecting to your family, could be connecting to your community, could be all of that. And so part of you know, connection is having a sense of belonging. You know, we just try to give the opportunity for our guys to, to do some of that. Even today, they're out and about meeting people. Some of those guys will, might have never done that before, to be at a public community event talking to the general public. When anyone is in addiction, a lot of a lot of the times they're they're isolating and feel not part of society, and we try to give that you know tangible kind of ways to to reconnect to to mm. community. Yeah, awesome. Is there anything that you think is particularly unique about the Glen's approach? Our approach comes back to a couple of things. It's about one addressing the the underlying issues. I think too, a lot of our values 
are, are very strong and we have a team that live by a lot of those values. You know, some of those values include um, the first one, which is one of the most important, is around honesty. We always say everything starts with a foundation of honesty and that can be very hard and confronting as well. To, to one, be honest with yourself, but then understanding that we all have a story and there's nothing to be to be ashamed of and you know, everyone, everyone's unique. And then honesty isn't just about words as well. Honesty is about action, which is one of the second values is actions are louder than words. Mm. So having that habit of if you say you're going to do something, you do it. But backing up what you say with, with action is, is a really important value for us. And then like I mentioned before, community as healing, um, transparency and accountability. You know, those are the values which our team and our staff and our board are all, all live by. And I think that's what kind of makes us very very unique that we're, we're leading yeah. these guys by example. Yeah, so it's not just about a, about a program or a service. It really is about these embodied values that begin in the team. And I think it's a powerful thing that many of the team have that lived experience and have been through the program. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's the lived out nature of those values that would, I imagine, make the place authentic, make the place the kind of space where people are going to have that experience of belonging and connection. Yeah, and, um, and with that lived experience as well, I think our, our, our team have a lot of empathy and compassion mm. for the clients. When I was you know, 14, I had my first job. Um, it was with my mum. So my mum's a cook. So I remember New Year's Eve, we're working till about you know, 1 a.m. And then we, we're going home and we're, cu- you know, we're catching the bus and my mum walks past a homeless man and she says, what, you know, what do you see? And I say, oh, it's a homeless man, you know, he's on the floor. And then she, she goes, you know, I see a really strong man who cares for his dog because the man was, you know, hugging his dog to sleep. You know, that was, I always remember that because that's a story of empathy and you mm. know, how my mum used to kind of see strengths in, in everything, you know, very positive outlook on life. And when I come back to the Glen and look at our program, I guess that's what we do as well. Everyone's got strengths, everyone's got abilities, and it's our job to kind of help those guys rediscover them. Yeah, because a lot of that gets lost when, when some of the guys are in, are in addiction. Some are creative, some are loud, some are very hands-on, some are you know, good with computers. And if we can help people find out what they're, what they're good at, what their strengths are, that's a really important part of the program as well because that can lead to other opportunities and they can see the positive in, in themselves. Mm. We do spend a lot of time looking at the underlying stuff, you know, the, the grief, the trauma, but then you've got to do on the flip side and look at all the positives as well, mm. look at what they're good at. Because that's what's going to take them to the next step, the next, you know, the next chapter in life. That's a beautiful story, a uh, beautiful memory of yours. And, and, you know, like awesome that your mom had that way of seeing somebody from a different angle. And really I can, you know, again, we could all benefit from that, right? We've got our lenses, our little judgment lenses that we see people through. Um, but when we kind of actually step back and go, what's the alternative angle? I could be viewing this person or this situation from that can change everything, right? Like we, yeah, our stories and our narratives, I'm a huge believer that those are what shape the way we live. So if we change the narrative, we change the story, that can have a huge impact. You know, obviously there's no like magic bullets when it comes to helping people to change Mm -hmm. and helping people to change really hard, deeply ingrained scripts, narratives, behaviours. That's hard work for any of us. Yep. What do you see as some of the kind of repeat success factors when somebody does manage to go through that cycle of change and on the flip side like when someone isn't kind of able to or when someone struggles to actually make that change in a lasting way do you see kind of either a lack of 
certain factors or, or other factors that are there? Like, yeah, talk me through what you, you see as some of those key things that make the difference. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I think when it comes to success, it's the guys who, who can be honest, who are you know, honest with themselves, who don't mind having those honest conversations where staff, sometimes we do, you know, give a bit of, you know, a bit of honest feedback as well. People who really want to actively change their habits and put in the action to do it. I think at the end of the day, when you want to be changing habits, you, you, you kind of mentally consciously have to do it. But then it's also, you know, reprogramming, I guess, part of your, your body to do the mm. same as well. You know, it starts from, you know, eating well, exercising, um, you know, it's, I guess getting all those things right lays a really good foundation for success because, you know, if you can get those habits right, then that can lead on to, you know, some of the harder, harder chapters in life. You know, when you're working, you're dealing with family, you're dealing with a lot of stresses in life. Um, having the, the good habits and the tools to manage all that is, is I think, is super, is super important. Mm. You know, when we talk about success at the Glen, we always want the guys to be leaving with, with, um, with, with employment you know, with good people around them, whether that's family or, or, or friends, having a good positive close circle, understanding, I guess, you know, money, you know, knowing how to, how to budget, how to save up so then they can get their own rental or housing and accommodation. You know, from where some of our guys come from, having those basic necessities is, is, is critical. You know, if you leave a, a program like ours without housing, that foundation is, isn't there. Yeah. And if you have to go back to your old friends and old surroundings that can be you know quite quite risky mm. so you know guys who, 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 do, who do struggle out there I guess you know there is no one one thing or a couple of things it's all everyone has their own own journey but I would say it's you know having those the foundation right is, is really important mm. our environment obviously plays such a huge role hey because when you're in that concentrated environment mm. of of community of connection of people that believe in you and support you um, and then you transition out of that into an, an environment where you used to behave in a different way. Yep. You know, it, obviously that transition is huge. I remember I used to go volunteer in a juvie and I remember like going in there, these beautiful young guys, you know, when they're in that environment, um, their system is free of drugs. They're, they're getting fed good meals a day. They got a, a roof over their head, even though they're in juvie, there's yep. a lot of positive factors yep. going on. And I remember this young guy got out and I went to visit him and I felt like the, the little accommodation that he had been put in after he got out was almost like a public toilet block with a bed in it. That's yeah. how it felt. And I just remember sitting in there with this young guy and just feeling like a sense of helplessness. Like if this apartment building that is obviously full of drugs, that is obviously um, closer to your old habits, you know, than, than you should be. You know, what kind of hope do you have, even if you've done the best program in the world? Yeah, exactly. And that's why a lot of our, our clients, no matter where they're from, often tr- relocate up here to the central coast. Um, you know, obviously it's a beautiful spot, but then they'll meet new, new friends and new networks who are, you know, the opposite of where they're from, especially because a lot, in the program, a lot of guys will relocate up here. There's a huge network of ex-Glen boys mm-hmm. uh, up this way and around. And so... They can have new new surroundings, but new people as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of guys do decide to come up here. Just thinking about, I don't know, like I sort of 
said before that the gland is sort of a concentrated place mm. of a lot of those factors for transformation and growth and healing. Are there kind of particular things you see there that you wish could just be like transported to other parts of society? And um, obviously that's kind of like a bit of a magical, wishful thinking kind of question, but even just for people listening, are there certain little things that you could see people implementing where they are that you see happening in the Glen that you're like, man, if that happened in that neighbourhood or that workplace or that household or that group of friends, that could really make a difference for people? I think there's a, there's a couple of things. I think um, the first one, if, you know, imagine a world where everyone was honest. <laughs> yeah. I think that'll make a huge difference in, 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 in the community and in the world where we all can kind of confront ourselves, confront our fears and, and you know, our warts and all and just, just be, be honest about it. I think when, in that first initial question you talked about manhood, there's a lot of, I guess, bravado and misconception of what, what men are and um, if we can be, be honest about ourselves, I think that's a, that's a good place to, to start. Um, I think from my point of view as well, um, you know, when we talk about what could be good in communities, I think being, um, being part of the community is, 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 is critical I think that's really important to be, to be part of something, that sense of belonging, that fulfillment, that purpose. You know, for me, I, have, I get a lot of kind of spiritual positivity by helping others out. And so it's, you know, helping people doesn't, doesn't cost anything. You know, it's something you can do for your own mental health. For, it benefits you, but it also benefits someone else. Mm. You know, no matter what struggles we're dealing with, there's always, I think there's ways to help help people and you might realize you'll be helping yourself in this at the same time. Mm. Oh, that's good stuff, man. The honesty, you know, theme obviously has come up a few times. One of my favorite quotes is from a psychologist named Dr. Henry Cloud. He says, reality is always your friend because even the most negative realities, even if you are in a, a terrible situation in terms of your finances or your relationships or, or substances, um, when you face that reality, that is the starting point of being able to do something about it because the longer you deny it you can't change anything exactly and that's being honest about your own emotions as well yeah you know sometimes we you know if we're, if we're suffering it's okay to talk about it and and put your hand up and um and get a bit of help and you know, being honest about your emotions being honest about your ego you know sometimes i have to kind of you know i'll, I'll have a bad day where i need to click and do my own little reality check mm. and work out what's going on and and and, and find a bit of help I noticed just doing a little bit of a Facebook stalk of you, Alex, that you run ultra marathons. Now, to me, I would put that almost on the same level of like difficulty as breaking free from like a substance addiction. I'm like, how the heck do you run an ultra marathon? So you got this like obvious, um, I don't know, discipline or endurance or focus about you. But why don't you just tell me a little bit about how you got into that and what that process does? How, how the heck do you do it? Good question. I was actually talking to the boys this morning about about running because I just finished running ten marathons in ten days, and um, it started probably four or five years ago where I just needed an outlet for my own mental health. You know, I started doing laps of Adcock Park, just doing little one point six k loops, and um, I just really enjoyed it. You know, watching the sunset um, it was a bit of a meditative outlet for me. You know, often. Sometimes I used to listen to podcasts, listen to positive things. Um, but lately I've kind of moved on to running in trails where I just listen to nature. 
And so I, I, you know, I don't do any sports science or have many, you know, a prescriptive training plan. I just kind of run when I feel like it. And it just seems to be more and more longer and longer. And I never set out to, you know, to do you know, ultra marathons, but I realized I was training 40 or 50 Ks at, at, on the weekend and then just and naturally just happened. And then Jeez. entered a few races. And it's, to me, it's just, it's just a big meditation for me. Yeah. Wow. So has that become, it sounds like it has, but I'm, you know, is that a, a key part of your own kind of health and well-being? Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, when it comes to my health and well-being, I always t- say it's, you know, you are what you eat. You know, when it comes to, you know, obviously it's a lot of your, your, your diet, but then it's also what you feed your brain as well. And so I, you know, I listen to positive things, but you know, when I'm out there running, I kind of have internal debates about, about everything, about life, trying to solve world's problems and stuff like that. And um, it used to be a pretty dark place, but now it's actually a very positive space for me to to get away and, and figure myself out, figure things out. I, a lot of my most creative kind of thoughts will pop up when I'm, when I'm running. Um, oftentimes I run with friends as well. So when you're out there, you know, in, on the trails, in the sunshine with, you know, with good positive people, that, that to me is one of the healthiest things out there. You make this sound incredibly easy. And you just casually said before, I, I ran 10 marathons in 10 days, which for someone like me, I'm like, I cannot imagine anything worse. Now, I don't mind going for like a little 5K or something, but um, <laughs> by, by that 5K, I'm like, yep, I'm done. I'm ready just to tap out. Maybe there's more in me, but um, yeah, talk me more through like uh, during those 10 days, was there like a point where you were like, I cannot run anymore or like what, what what's some of the like actual mountains and valleys of that process? So the 10 days I, um, I signed up, I registered for this race. I actually was talking to the event organizer and she said, um, I was the first person to sign up and she thought I was a bit crazy because, you know, she hadn't seen me on the running circuit and stuff. And my motive for doing the race was I just wanted to meet some other kind of crazy runners. So I wasn't out there to win. I wasn't going to set any records. Um, I was just out there for, you know, my first week of annual leave in one and a half years, I'll just (laughs) go for a jog and meet some other you know, crazy joggers, you know, the first day, you know, I've done little marathons and a few ultras before, but the 10 days was all new to me. So I had no expectations. I was out there to enjoy it. I was like a lot of the other runners. I said, I was prepared to come last, you know, if I had to walk it, I'll walk it. But everything I start, I have this mentality that I'll always finish. Even if on the last day I'll be crawling, I'll still, (laughs) I'll crawl to the finish line if I had to. There were, you know, I'll, I'll say physically, you know, by day four, my body was kind of a little bit like, wow, what are you doing to yourself? Mm. Um, but I guess I just had this, you know, and the reason I kind of, you know, it happened because I was probably going a bit too fast. I stopped running my own race and was getting egged on by some of the other runners who kept kind of saying, oh, I'm going to beat you and then calling out my pace and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm going to, I think the ego kicked in and I forgot about what I was meant to do. And then the rest of it, when I realized, when I said to myself, I actually did a little um, thing to myself and I said, stop trying to go fast and just and just go your own pace, run your own race. Um, and that's what I did. And the last six days was sweet. Mm. You know, I just listened to my body. Um, days when I'm hurting, I just slow down a bit. Days I'm feeling good, I run a bit faster. There's, there's definitely a lot, a lot in that you know, that we could apply to a lot of situations where we can do the thing. It's just that we're trying to do the thing like somebody else and that's what's stopping us. But if we just do it at our own pace, we can do it. 
it's the comparison that is the the kind of enemy exactly and when i see people comparing to others you know you know we got i guess we by understanding ourselves first we know that everyone's everyone's different you know you can't be comparing to anyone else everyone's got a they're different physically they're different mentally mm. so the best thing we can do is just you know focus on ourselves run our own race and and yeah don't need the unnecessary stress of trying to compete with compete with others yeah well, i'm not going to try compete with you <laughs> so when did you start running when did you start i probably 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 started running about 5 years ago all right. Yep. Do you think there's anything five years ago you mm. just living his life, still doing heaps of community service, obviously being a top fella, but five years later you're doing all this running. Do you think there's anything that's changed in, in your mindset or in your um, just way of being in the world, if that makes sense? Oh, yeah. I think, well, I think two things. The first thing is to start small. So five years ago I was running one, two Ks. Like you at the 5K mark, I'll be like, no, this, that's enough. <laughs> Um, and I just gradually increased it. So over the five years, it's you know, 1K became two, two became five, and it's been a very gradual process of conditioning, you know, my body to the to where it is now, where I can run quite far and, and not hurt. And I think that's a bit of a metaphor for for, for life, I guess. Mm. With everything you're trying to aim to do, just you've you got to start small. You know, sometimes we want things in a hurry. We want it now. We want it today. Um you know, I call it kind of in my head the um, the afterpay model for life. You know, get things now, but you you pay for it pay for it later. You know, I guess life doesn't work that way. You know, I have a little motto that's in my office that says um, everything's earned. You know, everything you got to work hard for. You know that story with my mum. You know that I go back to. You know, I was fourteen, my first job. Um, you know, we had to work very hard. You know, I. I a lot of the staff know this, but I have a secret love of Devon and Spam ham, which is a big <laughs> part of my diet. But that comes from when, you know, those were luxuries for us when we were kids. You know, now I've, I've realised that, um, for my parents especially, that, yeah, everything you've got to do, you just got to, you just got to work hard. There's going to be painful times, um, especially when you run running ultra marathons towards the last, last leg, the last bit of it, it's going to hurt. Mm. But just, you know, you just can't, you just don't give up and just keep going. Sounds like your mum... I mean, I'm struck by the fact that she obviously had that really strong work ethic and sense of responsibility, and yet she still had such compassion for that homeless person. Like often, you know, people don't necessarily have those two attitudes together. And it sounds like you do as well, right? But sometimes we have this attitude of like, you just got to take responsibility. So if somebody's having problems, I don't care about, like it's, they just got to pull their bootstraps up and get on with it. So I'm just struck by that. That's a really beautiful combination to have that kind of strong personal ethic and drive with a deep compassion towards others. Yeah, that's a huge lesson that I've, I'm so grateful for that I've learned from her. Um, you know, when she first moved to Australia and I was young, she always made, made us mow all the lawns of all the neighbours and pull their bins out because they're a bit old. And at the time I was like, oh, this is, why do I have to do extra work? Um, it's only in hindsight which I realised how much the community meant, meant to her. Mm. Um, she always kind of said she didn't finish uni- university or didn't, didn't do any higher education. You know, when she says, um, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but at least I know how to, how to cook and um, make people smile. And I always thought, oh, that's so, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, she might not be book smart, but she knew how to kind of reach people's hearts mm. and um, how to show compassion, how to be empathetic, which... Um, I think some of those are the greatest lessons I'll ever, mm. I'll ever learn. 
Um, and, you know, I think hopefully at the Glen, you know, amongst us as, as staff and, and volunteers, that we're sharing some of that knowledge and wisdom to some of the boys as well. You know, when we talk about education, it's always focused on books and academics, but there's so much we can learn about, you know, about life and being, being good men. Uh, all right, I want to hit you with some kind of rapid fire questions to Perfect. wrap up. Sure. So sort of one sentence kind of answers. What is one essential part of your daily routine that keeps you healthy? Running. Yeah. Do you run every day? I run every day. What is like a single sentence you would go back and say to your 18-year-old self if you had the chance? Be more grateful for your mum and dad. Yeah, nice. What about if, if your 80-year-old self was sitting here next to you on the couch, what would you hope that that version of you would say to this version of you? Don't get injured. <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, books, podcasts or films that you would recommend, like, like one kind of thing that you would just tell people, hey, go out, listen to this or read this, this like in the themes of this conversation, this is really going to help you? I think one of the best books I've read was called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. I think it's, a, it's got a brief history of humankind and I think every human should understand where we're from and how we got to where we are. Cool. I'll go check it out. What would be one characteristic you would really want other people to know you for in terms of like, yeah, if, if people were just to describe you in one word, what would be the word that you would hope that that would be? I would hope they see me as compassionate. Beautiful. Uh, one recommended next step you would want everyone listening to this conversation to take? Next step would be... I guess pause and um, reflect and, um, yeah, just be grateful. All right, I want you just to finish two sentences for me. I'll give you the beginning of the sentence. You yep. fill it out however you want. Awesome. All right. I am. Because I'm a man on a, on a mission to help as many people as I can. I'm a person who just wants to, to keep growing, to keep learning, to keep being grateful and, and, and just do the very best in, in, in everything I do. Beautiful answer, man. Finally, we are. Finish that sentence. I think we are all kind, compassionate people. We just sometimes need to look and we'll find. Awesome. Alex, thanks so much, man, for sharing both uh, your personal story and your personal wisdom and experiences, as well as uh, about some of the great work that you guys do at the Glen, what you're doing there and what all of the guys uh, and the women um, are doing there is uh, an example of what the rest of us could be doing wherever we are to become more healthy and whole. Absolutely. Can always do more. Thanks, man. Thanks, Will. Thanks, heaps. This podcast has been proudly brought to you by the Central Coast Council and produced by Lead by Story. Music is by Josh Corkill with editing and mixing from Rowan Parry. I'm your host, Will Small. If you got value out of this conversation, then give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone you think would benefit from it. We get to decide what it means to be a man in the places we find ourselves. So let's make it kind, compassionate and strong. Catch you next time on Mankind.